18th chapter, Joshua chapter 18. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Uh, we're doing here today, uh, Christianity has done for thousands of years, gathering together, and the importance of that, be stressing that this evening. Uh, let our children be dismissed for children's Bible time, second grade on down. Second grade on down, children's Bible time with Mr. Frank. And there they go. One of the largest congregations meeting this evening is children's Bible time in Alexandria. Sad, a lot of churches have cut out their Sunday evening service at uh, training time and are missing out on great opportunity to influence the next generation. And the Bible says we should be gathering more and more together as we see the day approaching. We're in Joshua chapter 18. Appreciate uh, Zachary filling in uh, today for Brother Monday. Brother Monday and his family are in Georgia somewhere. Uh, Uncle Bob passed away and they're doing the service for him. And uh, they'll be back at, at some point. Uh, school's Tuesday, so I imagine they'll probably be back by school on Tuesday. We appreciate Zachary handling uh, the music uh, while he is gone. We're in Joshua chapter 18, uh, we're going to concentrate on the first paragraph, which is the first seven verses, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in the rest of the chapter. Chapter Verses 8 through the end of the chapter is borders, a uh, border of this, a border of that. But the first seven verses are, are very impactful, uh, starting with verse 1. The whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes. How many tribes of Israel were there? There were twelve. And uh, there are seven tribes that haven't got to work yet. Uh, that's better than 50%. Uh, they're still waiting. Seven, seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And uh, Joshua said unto the children of Israel, what's the deal? Get up, get moving. How, how long are ye slack to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? Slackers. I should have, uh, Mary Jo, I should have called the sermon tonight slackers, because that's what they are. Uh, they're slacking, and Joshua calls them to account. Uh, they should have been out there, they should have been going, they should have been working, they should have been claiming the land, but they were not. And uh, he, he calls them the task. Verse 4, give, give out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. And they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me, and they shall divide it into seven parts. Uh, Judah shall abide in their coast on the south, and the house of Joseph uh, shall abide in their coast uh, on the north. And ye shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord your God. Uh, the Levites again, verse 7, But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Gad and Reuben, here they get mentioned again. You just can't think that's accidental. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into the message. Uh, Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had received their inheritance beyond Jordan on the east, which Moses, 
the servant of the Lord gave them. And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them that went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it. Come again to me, that I may here cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. And the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities into seven parts in a book. And uh, came again to Joshua, to the host at Shiloh. Uh, Shiloh is now mentioned several times in these verses. That's significant. Going to be mentioned again in verse 10. Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land until the children of Israel according to their divisions. And then he goes on. Verse 12 talks about the border. Verse 13 talks about the border. Verse 14 talks about the border. Uh, on to verse 16. Look at verse 16. This is just kind of interesting. And the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley, and the son of Hinnom, which is a valley of the giants. Now, some of you are probably too young to remember this, a big advertising slogan. In the valley of the giants, ho, 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 green giant, uh, green giant uh, food. You wonder where the, the, where the world gets their advertising slogan? All right here, uh, Joshua chapter 18. And uh, now you know the rest of the story. <coughs> Uh, and they probably, some, some guy probably got paid big money uh, to, to come up with that slogan. But here we got the Valley of the Giants on the north. Uh, there, listen, and there are giants. There are things to be conquered. It's not necessarily an easy task that they have, but it's a task nonetheless. And there is no excuse uh, for not getting at it. Uh, it's time to get moving is the title of the message this evening. Time to get moving. And let's pray. Father, I pray uh, that you would help us this evening to know you, know your word, and to be challenged by the victories and the defeats of those in the Old Testament, knowing that here in 2024, we are also subject to victories and defeats, and our defeats should not define us, nor discourage us. May we be empowered this evening to go forward, to get moving, to claim the land, to get busy, to stop slacking. Father, I pray for that person who does not know you as their Savior. The time is short. The days are evil. Death could come at any time. I pray that they'd be reminded this evening of the seriousness of putting off the gospel message, and embrace your salvation tonight before it is eternally too late. And all, Father, we will give you the praise for what you do to us this evening. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. What is the significance? It's an interesting, verse 1 has an interesting change of location. And you would look at that and you would think, Shiloh. What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Uh, they have been in Gilgal. This is the first mention, uh, that they're moving to Shiloh. Uh, what is going on? Uh, they had assembled at Shiloh together. They set up the congregation of the tabernacle there. Uh, the, the congregation had moved. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Stop the presses. The church is moving. Uh, we're gonna up, we're gonna uproot. We're gonna close the place down and we're gonna move 15 miles away, which is basically what they did. Now, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, churches move. That's a big deal. Uh, they move from one property to another. That's a big deal. Church members get upset. Oh, man, how's that going to affect me? Where is it going to be? Is it going to be close to where I live? Maybe they don't like the new, uh, the new location. 
Uh, churches have made uh, decisions over the years to move for a variety of different reasons. Fifty years ago, sixty years ago, churches in the inner cities of Chicago and New York and Washington, D.C. made decisions to move out of the inner city and abandon them to the gospel and move out to the suburbs because it was cheaper. And they made a decision based on money and money alone. And as a result today, uh, you tell me, are the inner cities better off today than they were 50 years ago? I say no. It's almost like a void was left there. Satan was happy, and he filled up the void. You can go into those towns today, and you can see uh, church apartments. They used to be churches, and now they've been turned into apartment complexes, apartments. Uh, people live there as opposed to worshiping there. And they're no longer a gospel, a gospel, uh, a, a place where the gospel is proclaimed. Uh, the congregation is moving uh, up, relocated, and that, this is significant. Israel had crossed the Jordan, and when they did, they set up camp at Gilgal. Gilgal became their base of operations, uh, and they stayed at Gilgal. They've been at Gilgal for all these uh, for all these years. Uh, Gilgal was a military command center. Uh, their base of operations. Where was Gilgal? Right by Jericho. They came across the water. They found a place. And they just stayed there. As opposed to moving on and settling down where God would have them to be. Uh, here at Gilgal. Shiloh is about 15 miles north and west of Jericho. It's in Ephraim's territory. Uh, the tabernacle moved along with them, according to uh, this verse. The set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And what's interesting about this move to this place and the significance of it is that the tabernacle, the worship, the center of Israel's worship will stay here for about 400 years. This is a significant move, a change. Shiloh became the center of Jewish religious life. Uh, the church today is the center, the hub of our religious life. Uh, we go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Uh, don't, don't mistake this. God has a place, and God has always had a place, where his people were to come together to worship. Does it bother you, annoy you, when it, it does me, when somebody says, a Pastor, I can worship the Lord in the woods just as well as I can in church. Uh, no, you can't. Because why? Because that's not the place that God has ordained. And God has always ordained a place. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5 says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose. You don't choose, God chooses. I'm just saying over the years, churches have made decisions based on what was best for them. In the book of Acts, they did. One of the uh, uh, Judas had uh, taken his life, and they said, well, we're supposed to have 12 apostles. Well, who chose the 12 apostles? Well, Jesus Christ did. Nowhere in the Bible was it found that the church was to choose the 12 apostles. God chose them. And so the church said, well, we've got to have 12 because there's always been 12, and there are 12 apostles, and there are 12 stones, there are 12 gates, all kinds of 12 has significance, and it does. And uh, so uh, we've got to choose one. And they chose one. Uh, they chose two, Matthias, and the lot fell on Matthias. And, uh, but that wasn't God's choice. <laughs> and you can make all the choices you want, but you probably should make sure that God's in it. Are you bathing your choices, your decisions in prayer? 
I mentioned this morning, we don't pray. Why don't we pray? Two reasons. We don't believe God is, and we don't believe he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Is that a problem? You, can, you, bet, your, you bet your boots that's a problem. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your heave offerings in your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and your firstlings and uh, of your herds and of your flocks. God's always had a place. God's always had a place. I say, preacher, you're preaching to the choir. We're in the place tonight. Well, good for you. I'm glad that you're here. First Kings chapter 14, verse 21 says, And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Namah of the Ammonites. Significance. Shiloh signified a settling in the land, a transitioning, if you will, to a new way of life. Shiloh was not simply a geographical change. Shiloh was a spiritual change. We sing the song, What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And and that's that's a wonderful thing for the new believer to know that there is a change that has come into my life as a result of accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. But if you think for a moment that that change stopped at salvation, that's probably why you're living in defeat this evening. God does not expect you to stay the same way that you are. You should be striving to be better, to be closer, to be more like the Master every single day. And when you stop that Grow. You begin to die. Are you living or dying this evening in the Christian life? Former President Trump this week was fined some $350 million. Banned from business for three years. From New York. I'm thinking if I was a businessman in New York, I'd want to move out. So it's interesting, MSNBC, which are not a bastion of uh, uh, biblical fundamental Christianity, uh, they're kind of liberal on the left-hand side, said this. Uh, we wonder if this is a legitimate persecution. Pro- persecution. Prosecution, sorry. <laughs> that was a slip. That was a Freudian slip. It was. It says prosecution right here. <laughs> And they went on to say that they believe that it is going to hurt business in New York for generations to come because businessmen are going to look at the hostility of the courts and say, this is not a good place to go to. You, you can make decisions to move for a variety of reasons. Mr. Trump will probably make decisions to move based on the financial benefit of those moves. California is another case in point. California is a place that has said, uh, we've, we've got an out-of-control budget. We're going to tax the rich. Well, here's the thing about being rich. The rich can live anywhere they want, and they can afford to move. 
us poor people, I mean, it's expensive to move. And, and so we, we can't move it. I mean, it's too much work. But the rich people, they just call up the movers and say, move me. And they go to a different state. The movers are, and they're moving out of California. And why are they moving out of California? They're moving because of money. Moving out because of money. But Christians, we shouldn't make the move, the decision to up the church and move it to another location based on money alone. Money is a consideration. But the first thing we should be asking the Lord is, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me to go? Where would you have me to be? Uh, Case in point is first century Christianity. The Bible tells us, the book of Acts tells us, that the Christians of the first century, God did not want the gospel to stay at Jerusalem. He wanted it to go to all the world. But the Christians were content to stay at that one location. And so God brought what? He brought persecution to make them uncomfortable, to cause them to flee, to spread the gospel. God shouldn't have to do that today to get our attention. He put that in the book of Acts. Young people, you hear me today. Every one of you that know and name the name of Christ should struggle with whether or not God would have you serve him by taking the gospel to some far-reaching corner of the world. I can tell you that growing up, that Mrs. Bishop struggled with that struggle with it. She was just she was just absolutely ready to go and willing to go, and was probably on her way to Brazil. You know, Luanda Duarte at the time was Luanda Doolittle, and she and uh, uh, Mrs. Bishop were close friends in college. And Luanda was going back to the mission field, and Mrs. Bishop would have probably gone there with her, but somebody uh, bumped her path. I want to be a missionary. When I was in high school, just something I wanted to do. And I I tell you, I had a map I set up above my desk, and I uh, applied uh, to to mission school. I wanted to do missionary aviation, kind of like what Jed Duarte is. Well, I'm really interested in what he's doing. And uh, uh, I just just loved everything about uh, flying. I had flying magazines. I'd sit out and lay under the clouds and watch the planes fly over and just could dream getting an airplane and taking the gospel to the mission field. And I couldn't pass the IQ test <laughs> to get into missionary school. Can you imagine that? Flunk, flunk the IQ test. Uh, my, college, my high school advisor called up the college and said, you people are stupid. Uh, some test shouldn't decide whether this guy gets in. He, he, is, he loves the Lord. He's a, he's a Christian. He knows the Lord. He, he's good with his hands. He can fix anything. And if, if there's a plane that's broke down on the mission field, that's the guy that you want fixing it. And they just said, he's got to pass the test. If he can't pass the test, he can't get into our program. And I didn't get into the program. But I was willing to go. Are you willing to go anywhere and do anything God would have you to do? And I'm here this evening because uh, for nine years I went to the altar and prayed, Lord, I'm willing to do anything you have me to do and go anywhere you would have me to go, uh, no matter where that is. I had a good job, I'd make good money, had a good pension, had good benefits, had uh, uh, four days on, three days off, (laughs) no more of that. And 
And the Lord said, hey, got a, got a place in Alexandria. And I said, I'm, I'm on my way. Are, are you willing to follow the Lord wherever he should lead? Are you able to kneel at the altar this evening and say, Lord? Can you imagine even saying that? Lord, I'm not willing to go. And he's not the Lord. Can you say, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere you would have me to go and do anything you would have me to do? God had a place for them to go. God had an inheritance for them to claim. And they just weren't getting the job done. Which brings me to point number two, the sadness of an action. Verse three. How long? How long is it going to take? How long? How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord your God? He's given it to you, but you won't claim it. Joshua and Caleb, they are just inspiring Old Testament characters. They were out. Caleb, I, I want that mountain. I want that mountain where the milk and honey flow, where the grapes of escrow grow. I want that mountain. The mountain that my Lord has given me. That, that, that's Caleb. And he's not a young guy. Where are the young guys? Right here. They're right here. The young guys that should have been out there, that should have been leading pack. I was looking out uh, in the choir this evening. Where's, uh, where's Noel? Noel, where are you? Are you in the room? No, he doesn't want to be in the room. I should have you stand up. Man, this guy. You know, He's got a square chin. I mean, he's a good look. I've never been that good looking. He's a good looking man, and he's growing up and going to be taken over. And uh, you just look at him, and he's, he's, got that, he's got that serious look on his face, like, don't mess with me kind of look. And it's just, it's just really neat to watch our young people grow up and become men and stand up and take the leadership to play on the pianos, to be in the orchestra, to teach classes, to sing in the choir. But it doesn't stop with just serving the Lord. It's got to transfer. You've got to accept the challenge of saying to the Lord, if, you want me, if, there's, a, if there's a land that you want me to claim for you, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to study. I'm willing to learn a language. I'm willing to uproot my family for the cause of Christ. How long? Contractually, on paper, legally, the lawyers had already signed off on this. Contractually, it belonged to them. But practically, they had failed to claim the promise. That'd be a great title for the message this evening, too. Slackers. Failing. A failure to claim the promise. A failure to conquer the land. And what kind of lands are we... What, what was contractually given to us at salvation? What should we... What kind of land should we be claiming? Okay, we're, now we're not talking about going across the world to Africa or South America or to Europe or to some... Uh, some little city 
or big city across America that has no gospel witness. Now we're just talking about Alexandria here at home in your life. What is going on in your life that is out of control? It shouldn't be. The flesh. The works of the flesh. The way we talk. Social media. The internet has claimed you. What is it that God gave you at salvation that you have failed to claim? What have you given into the flesh? What, what rules your life? Does God rule your life? Does the Word rule your life? Or does uh, some, some little girl rule? She snaps her fingers and you say, Yes, dear. Failing, failing to claim. Contractually, yours, fruits of the Spirit, the blessings of Christianity. But many Christians, just like this crowd right here, they don't possess the land. They don't conquer the flesh. They don't look for victory. They are not men and women of prayer and separation. That's what's talked about in the Sunday school hour this morning. Instead, they live in defeat. Satisfied with the status quo. Their current situation, their present circumstances, their existing state of affairs. How are you doing? Pretty good under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? We're, we're called to live the victorious Christian life. And I say to you what Joshua said to the people. How long are you slack to go in and possess the land? You have to lay hold of it. Listen, you can complain about Lots of complaining about. Brother Ray, he's the pastor's favorite person. He, he gets anything he wants. But I can never be Brother Ray, you know. Seriously? Or you can just say, like Caleb, you know what? I want God's blessing. And I'm not content to watch Brother Ray or Mr. Allen or Brother Corey to see them have God's blessing on their life. I want God's blessing. God, God doesn't have a limit. Oh, you know, oh, you know, my, my blessing meter, I'm running a little empty, I'm running a little low, can't bless anybody else at Lighthouse uh, because I'm kind of running out of blessings here. No, God's not, he doesn't have a meter, he doesn't have a gauge that runs low when, when uh, 80% of the people are blessed and the other 20% are just out of luck. It doesn't work that way. You want God's blessing? Claim it. Lay hold on it. Chapter 16, chapter 17, look, look at chapter 17, uh, verse 15. Joshua answered, if thou, thou be a great people, they said, hey, we're great people. If thou be a great people, then get thee to work, get thee up to the wood country. Cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants and Mount Ephraim. It'd be too narrow for thee. Get up and get working. But we're, we're lazy. We expect uh, Brother, Brother Ryan Hover and Brother Ray de Guzman to visit our class for us. When's, teacher, when's the last time you called somebody from your class and said, hey, you're missing? When's the last time you knocked on their door and said, well, they, they ride the bus? <laughs> They're in your class! Go cut down a tree! Stop waiting for somebody else to lumber your yard for you. Get out there and cut the tree down. Get to work. What, 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 is, what is Joshua saying to them? Get up and get to work! Time to get up and get moving! Not necessarily geographically. 
time to get moving spiritually and claim the land that God has given you. What kind of land? How about Springfield, Wharton, Alexandria, Rose Hill? There are students out there. Go get them. Go get them. Roglio Ortiz, 50 years of age. He's here in our country illegally. He was removed one time voluntarily. He was deported five times criminally. He was arrested this week for a hit and run for a hit and run accident. I hate that word. Not an accident. He was drunk. He went and sat down and popped the can and down the alcohol and then made a conscious decision to take the keys and get in the car and drive down the road. And when he did, he went up off the road and hit a little 10-year-old boy and killed him and then drove away. That's not an accident. That's purposeful. Criminal. Act. And we get upset. Hey, Pastor, that's terrible. That is terrible. He should be in prison. He should be. It's easy, I've mentioned this morning, to pick on the Hamans. But if silence on the part of the Christian was criminal, would you be locked up? When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus Christ? When's the last time you passed out a gospel tract? When's the last time you took a soul winning training class? Brother Ray's teaching class on Wednesday evening. You can show up and he'll teach you how to lead somebody to Christ. When's the last time you put a gospel track in a bill? Mrs. Bishop said they didn't get our electric bill last night. I put it, put it in check. I put it in the mail. She said, do you think that they're tearing up my check because I put a gospel track in it? Probably. Keep sending them. When's the last time you did? Did anything to get to work? Again, if silence on the part of a Christian was a crime, and I believe it is, oh no, not on the laws of the Commonwealth of Virginia, criminal code, or federal code, but this book tells us that we're to go Joshua tells us that we're slack and we need to get up, get busy, and get to work. I say the vast majority of Christianity would be charged, failing to warn people of hell. What is that? That's the sadness of inaction. But God's blessing serious business. You ask the average Christian, would, could you use a little bit more God's blessing? I said, oh, yeah, preacher, sign me up, sign me up. The blessings are on the horizon. You've got to claim the land. You've got to get to work. Sadly, many Christians today were just simply content. What's going on in chapter 18 is they were content. They were content with the way things were. They didn't want to go do the hard job, the difficult things. They did not want to go claim their inheritance. Yeah, it was theirs. Not just technically uh, but again, legally, it was theirs, but they just refused to claim it. And then we've got Reuben and Gad. Where are they? 
Well, if up there is the promised land, Reuben and Gad and half tribe of Manasseh are out here. And remember, going back to Exodus chapter 32, they said, hey, we don't want, we don't want what God wants. We know God wants us our inheritance up there, but we're happy down here because uh, it's a great place for cattle. <laughs> we have cattle. And uh, Moses said, um, okay, you want your inheritance out here on the fringe? You want to be on the fringe of Christianity? Have at it. And again, I say, it is not accidental that God names them over and over and over again. Hey, remember Reuben and Gad, we gave them their inheritance out here on, on the fringe. God, God had a spot for them up here. God had land for them to claim, but they, they didn't want what God wanted. Is that possible this evening? In your life? And, and this is not just about land and location. God could have given them land anywhere. How, how do you know that? Well, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owned it. God could have given them the land in Egypt. But God wanted them to have this land. Reuben and Gad said, we're okay to be in this land. God didn't want them there. He permitted them to stay there. He wanted them up here. Wanted them to claim the land. Question. Are you content to stay on the fringe? Lots of Christians are. God will allow you to do that. He got better plans. He wants to bless you. He got abundant blessings. God's got something very special for you. Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, God's got something very special for you right here. Oh, oh, what, what's that? Say that again. Oh, oh, you don't want it. Oh, you're content to live out here. God will say, okay. But don't come to me and complain. Oh, pastor, my life is such a mess. Well, get, get away from, from, from here and get up where you're supposed to be. Get, get God's Word and figure out where you're supposed to be and get there. You can complain to me, complain to your wife, and we're good about complaining. Complain on the Internet, complain on Facebook. God's not good to me. God did this to me. God. You're living out on the fringe. You don't have to live there. And Joshua says, stop. How long are you slack? Get up and get going. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14 puts it like this. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they would have returned. A lot of people going back. God wants you to go forward. Claim the land. If they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Places in the world that I would not want to move. Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington, in 2020, defunded their police. 
Since 2020, their homicide rate is up 24%. Auto theft is up 30%. In Seattle, you don't lock your car. You leave your car unlocked and the trunk open and the hood open. Say, so why do you do that? Because if you, roll, if you lock your car, they break the windows. And so it's better to leave the car unlocked and the trunk open. Because then they see you don't have anything there. And they're going to go through it. Lock your car, they break the windows. Lock your trunk, they're going to pry it open. And then you're going to have it held down with a bungee cord. So it's best just, it's, a, it's the dumbest thing. You go down the street and see, trunks, trunks, trunks open. Nothing in it. Nothing to steal. Oh, okay. And the criminal goes on somewhere else. The dumbest thing. Seattle restaurant owner has had 23 break-ins in the last three years. 23. And this is what the business owner said. I have lost all faith in the city of Seattle. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. They have a serious problem. So much so that they don't even call the police anymore. So have you called the police about the last three break-ins? I haven't called the police about the last 15 break-ins because they don't do anything. They don't care. They're not solving crime. And they don't even come out. They take the report over the phone. It's, it's, not, it's not even worth it. It's a waste of time. Well, but I'll tell you what, if God called me to Seattle this evening, I'd go. There are giants everywhere. God calling you to Seattle. But here's a greater shame. God hasn't done anything to shake our faith. I don't think anybody in the room would, it, the charge certainly wouldn't stick, would be able to say, I've lost all faith in God because he hasn't, he hasn't taken care of me. The charge wouldn't stick. Reuben and Gad is out here. They were the first nations of Israel to fall. Because they were on the fringe. That's not God's fault. God gave you what you wanted. Not what God had in mind for your life, according to his word. Don't blame God. Not his fault. But as a result, Christians don't call on God anymore. When's the last time you were fervent in prayer? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, availeth much. I meet people on the outside every week. I got a problem. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to the altar? I'll pray with you at the altar. Now, they say they're Christian. But they're not here. They're not there. Why don't we call on God again this morning? He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is still on the throne. God still blesses. God wants to bless you. 
But he's not going to do it contrary to this book. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. How long are you slack to visit? How long are you slack to call? How long are you slack to write? How long are ye slack to tell? How long are ye slack to witness, to pray, to read, to memorize? Do you believe that he is? Do you believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him? Then let's get busy seeking his face and obeying his voice. You're here this evening... You are not a Christian. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. God's been calling to you about the matter of salvation, but you've been saying, no, 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 no. You have rejected him, but tonight you're going to accept him. Preacher, I haven't rejected him. If you have not accepted him, you have absolutely rejected him. Why don't you accept him this evening? Preacher, I'm here. I'm not a Christian. I don't know Christ. Would you pray for me? Slip your hand up. Hold it up for a moment. Let me pray for you. Christian, the message is for us this evening. Do you believe God? Do you believe he is a rewarder? And let's diligently seek him. Let's stand to our feet. It's a piano play. Father, I pray I give you the invitation this evening. Do a work at this altar. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. The piano is playing. The altar is open. Will you come?